Hi, diddly ho, preparinos. This is Nat, the preparedness guy on Preparedness Works, the second best preparedness podcast in the world. Preparedness Works is part of the Readiness Lab, the place for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. I want to thank L3 Harris for their longtime support of the Readiness Lab. L3 Harris has provided technology and communication solutions to emergency responders all over the world. Now today, I have a special, special guest, a real doomsday prepper, Rick Austin. He's a survivalist gardener. He's been featured on Doomsday Castle, Doomsday Preppers, a hilarious clip on The Daily Show, and many others. He's also an author of books, including The Secret Garden of Survival, and he is the host of, Prepar- of Prepper Camp, which we'll talk about today. It's the largest outdoor preparedness event in the country, and it is amazing. Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Rick, being a prepper, how how has that um, changed people's perception of you? Um, well, I guess if you, it, yeah, it, you know, there was a, there was a time when um, all of us who were preppers really didn't really come right out and say it because of the the wacko you know, craziness, tinfoil hat image that uh, people had, um, which was perpetuated in large part by the media. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, um, and and so many of us who were preppers would, were kind of like closet preppers. We would say little bits and pieces of things and somebody who is also a prepper might pick up on that and then they'll share a little something and you'll share a little something. And finally, you both admit that, oh, yeah, yeah we're, we're preppers, too. Um, but it, it's it is much more mainstream now, I think, because uh, people's eyes have been opened and they've been awakened to some of the things that happen, you know, beyond just the disaster preparedness, um, which, you know, I grew up as a Boy Scout, so I was always prepared to handle stuff and uh you know, I've, I lived in New Hampshire where you would have a, an ice storm and you lose power for two weeks at a time. And so you'd have to put your food outside in the snow to preserve it. And, um, you know, you would cook with wood and heat with wood and you just kind of learned to deal with it. It wasn't always that fun, but uh, you learned how to deal with it. And then I spent uh, another 20 years of my life in Florida in the hurricane and and. Uh, lightning capital of the world and you'd lose power for two weeks at a time but it would be 90 plus degrees and 90 percent humidity and uh wow. you know you were in a different sort of scenario and situation that it was it was tough to preserve and keep you know food fresh at all um and if you were lucky you had a grocery store near enough to you that still had refrigeration so you could go get stuff as you needed to and kind of lived like the like the europeans do where they go shopping every day but um you learn to deal with that stuff. You learn to, to fix holes in your roof so that it doesn't continue to leak and destroy your entire infrastructure, your home. But uh, I think people have woken up to a large degree that a lot of this stuff goes on. And, um, you know, when there are disasters, the first responders aren't necessarily going to be there for you when everybody in an area is taken down so you know you've got to be able to take care of yourself and 
I think with the way society has gone and the way that the government has kind of let things happen with some of these uh, leftist groups where there's riots going on and people who are just minding their own business are getting caught up in it and, you know, ending up getting beaten. I think a lot more people are, are concerned about and, and looking to take care of themselves, you know, from a physical protection and home protection thing. So, right, so I think it's, it's, you know, it's a lot less stigmatic today. And, and when you go to a place like prepper camp and we'll talk about that, you know, what, what, amazed me is that for the last 10 years we've been running this thing and the people that show up are not the wacko um you know over the top people that you see on doomsday preppers they are just normal people who are trying to take care of themselves and their families and um you know they realize that they've got to do it it's their responsibility and that the government is not going to be there for them as much as they say they will so um you know, it was uh, it, it on the doomsday preppers thing. Um, Jane, survivor Jane, my wife, and I were involved in um, to some degree in all of the doomsday preppers stuff. She she was tapped by uh, National Geographic to um, help promote the uh, the series, and she would do a tweet chat um, every night that they held a. Um, they had an episode so she would actually have kind of an open tweet thing with her prepper talk um community and people would who were real preppers would be chiming in and saying oh that guy's an idiot um you know you'd never do that oh you know he, that guy's going to be dead in two days and so you know we, we kind of had a, a lot of fun just kind of mocking the people that were on it because so many of them Look, the, the people that picked who was on the show, for the most part, were New York libtards that were looking strictly to make preppers look stupid so that they could bring eyeballs to the television set. When eyeballs to the television set brings advertisers. So there were a lot of people watching it uh, as a uh, almost comical thing. But they were making fun of preppers. and um, Right. Well, and we, they, they were definitely effective at uh, getting eyeballs oh, to, yeah. to the yeah. television. Um, so, it, the, yeah, your experience, do, do you feel like it you know, accurately represented uh, you or what you know of other um, other people who were on the show? How, do, how did the – because it definitely changed the public perception of, of preppers yeah. or yeah. or in, increased the negative bias towards preparedness. Um, I, you know, uh, one of the guys that was on the show – um, that, you know, was that we knew, um, you know, he was in California where he where here in in the Appalachian Mountains of uh, North Carolina. Um, but uh, he he was he was raising rabbits. That was his claim to fame. And he was raising rabbits literally in his garage and he was supplying, um, you know, thousands of rabbits a year to uh, the restaurant industry. And, you know, he was running everything really sustainably and it was a great story, but, um, he ended up being on doomsday preppers and they said, well, what do you do with the poop? And, you know, he was using it as fertilizer and other stuff. And, uh, you know, he was trying to make some methane gas with it to be able to use that gas as energy. And they get the idea. These, these producers from Hollywood and New York said, Hey, I wonder if we could make a flamethrower with it. And, uh, so, 
they ended up making this flamethrower and he's like i this isn't what i do but the episode became all about his flamethrower using methane that he created from rabbit poop and it didn't have really all that much to do with the fact that he was raising the the best protein you can possibly eat and raise in the most you know with the animal that is the most easy to raise and rabbits do what rabbits do and you know they uh, three three girls and one boy will produce 90 that's nine zero uh full-grown rabbits in a year and my rabbits are champagne d'argent rabbits so they they're 12 pound rabbits they dress out at about 10 10 pounds so 90 brand new rabbits a year at 10 pounds of meat is uh 900 pounds of meat as opposed to having to raise cattle which is going to require you know two to five acres of open pasture um, per year. So the guy was trying to get across the story that, you know, you should be raising rabbits and this is why, and this is how I do it. And they turned the whole thing into, uh, you know, this guy's a crazy guy and he's making flamethrowers with, but the thing is people don't pay attention or people don't understand what's really going on in the, uh, in the media industry. And I guess, uh, fortunately, um, I spent 30 years in media. I was running advertising agencies and, and did publications and, and, um, I, I ended up, uh, you know, being a television producer at universal studios for a number of years. So I, I know the game, um, you know, I did shows for, um, for, uh, for reality TV, which really wasn't reality at all, but, uh, you know, for spike TV, I did this show called carpocalypse and it was about, uh, you know, 12 redneck drivers that uh, every week we gave them 500 bucks to go out there and get a car or a car and a boat or uh, buy a school bus. And each weekend we would race them um, in a demolition derby race. So we did school buses doing figure eight races. So you get these these long ass buses <laughs> and they're running into each other and the you know, more crashes and what and these people were, you know, they were in they were in reality nice enough people but they were not necessarily um harvard graduates so um and you know so i understand that was eyeballs to the television set that was what it was Mm -hmm. all about so they would put these people up to do things that they wouldn't normally do but oh these guys i'm going to be on tv and you know all my friends are going to see it in the television and well so we refused to be part of that i mean we you know they asked us every single year would you and Jane come on Doomsday Preppers? And we refused. Um, I was, I ended up being on Doomsday Castle because the guy that owned the castle had seen me uh, talk at another um, conference and wanted to put my secret garden of survival in the castle. He said, this is going to be an integral part of what we do for our preps. And um, so, you know, we, we did that and we actually brought the, uh, the television crew here to my secret garden of survival and the sun came to kind of understand what it was all about. And we were literally walking down through the garden and it looks like a jungle. I mean, it looks like a jungle right. with just food everywhere. And, um, he said, well, where's the garden? And I said, you're in it, you're standing in it. Right. And it was a fantastic episode. I mean, people learned a lot about it. And so that was year three well, no, it was year three of Doomsday Preppers and Doomsday Castle came along. 
So I was involved in that, and um, we actually went to the media um, showing for Doomsday Castle. So they had a big media event. They brought people in and put them up in a in a really expensive hotel in Greenville, South Carolina, and then they would take these people, this, the media, to go promote this show when it's coming on. So they had people there that were not necessarily prepared and minded, but you know the the mainstream media to push this show, and. Right. Um, we met with the producers while we were there and they said, well, how come you guys won't go on? And I said, because you're, you're making people look like idiots and we don't, you know, that's not what preppers really are. And, and, and also the people that you're having doing builds and whatever they're doing they you know, these people have an unending source of money to be able to do all this stuff. You're, you know, what you need to do is have people that are just regular people who is what preppers are. You know, yeah. but these people don't have seven million dollar homes, so they can't buy, you know, a pallet and a half of toilet paper and store it someplace. These people are are just normal people that, you know, are trying to figure out a way to take, take care of their families and, you know, take care of themselves. So they uh, season four um, did normal, regular people showing how they did preps and um we agreed to do a show with them. So they were here for three days. Of course, we had to have all kinds of non-disclosures and they wouldn't mm -hmm. reveal a location because what's the point of having secret garden of survival if, uh, you know, 4 million people know where it is. So, right. um, so, you know, we, we went through a bunch of stuff and it literally, it was the day before, before they finally signed the deal, um, that there would be a $1 million, um, penalty to them if they despaired just in, in, in any way and they revealed a location. Um, so we did it. We did the show. It was three days of watching paint dry because, you know, they had they had uh, one camera with them. So every shot you had to take was, OK, we let's do the long shot now. OK, let's do the medium shot. OK, let's do the close up. Now, Rick, you say something to Jane and Jane, you just stand there and nod your head. Oh, and then Jane, you respond to it. So, I mean, this is the this is television. It, it right. is what it is, you know, um, but we because we were growing um, the hottest pepper on Earth at that time, which was uh, Trinidad. Uh, Sebago scorpions, I think, or it was Carol Carolina reapers, one of those two. But um, we were growing those in our greenhouse, and uh, we were talking about you could use it if you wanted to as a kind of a, a pepper spray type thing. Right. So yeah. we created this little pepper spray thing, and so we were going to do it, and we were showing how we would set it up in sort of this this kill box going through. We've got a Osage Orange, um, which is like the the barbed wire of the nine, of the 1600s, where they would separate, you know, cattle and keep cattle in by planting this stuff, and uh, you know, it's got it's got an amazing thorns, and you know, would rip you apart because they're razor sharp. So, you know, that is lining one side, so people have to go through that, and so we put we put some pepper spray things on there, and and these morons from new york said well you know we need to show how it works on somebody and said, well why don't you why don't you call your friends over and have them come over and you know you can do it and like what in the f are you talking about <laughs> what, what kind of person do you think what why would yeah, i have 
a friend, unsuspecting friend, come over and and walk through and me spray them with pepper spray. Oh my! No, goodness. we're not. And so there were so many things that they wanted us to do. We said, "Hell no, we're not doing that." And um, well, my wife follows this lady who does uh, budget and finance and stuff. She was on uh, one of the couponing shows, and they were going through. You know, she went through a similar experience, and they said, "Well, what would you do if you didn't, if you couldn't, if your budget didn't allow you to have?" all the things you needed. And she's like, well, you know, we store stuff. Plus, you know, if I really, you know, they, they prodded her along. She's like, if I was really desperate, I guess I'd ask a neighbor for something, but I would just make do with what I had. And they're like, Oh, let's go ask your neighbor. So they had her go and ask her neighbor for like a cup of flour and, and made her seem like she was like a beggar that that's how she got by every week was just to yeah. her neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. So yeah, that's, that's the nature of television. And it's the nature of the liberal media. Um, yeah, they didn't really want to understand it. And to a large degree, you know, we were, um, we were terrorists to the government because, oh, well, we can't have people taking care of themselves because we're supposed to do that. And then we lose power if people have our self, self-sufficient. So there was a lot of that going on there too. And of course the media supported it, but, um, I think people have, have, come past that and can see through the media. I mean, you look at what's happening with mainstream media now and people are people getting their news and it's not there anymore. They're not getting their news from that. Um, uh, you know, anybody that gets their news from that are low information voters or no, low information non-voters. Um, so it's, it, people are getting their news from podcasts like this one and, you know, from the Steve Bannons of the world and, you know, the conservative media out there and everybody has their favorites, but uh, YouTube kind of shot them their liberal feet in the, in, you know, in the foot, whatever shot themselves in the foot um, because this whole YouTube thing just took off. And that's right. where people started getting really, really great information. And then they shut down the major, preparedness people uh and the the people who were telling the truth the truth tellers just before the 2020 election so a lot of these people were out and then they had to find alternate ways to to get their information out there so rumble became huge and you know so people people are seeking the truth and um they're they're tired of not having it yeah more information out there and less truth yeah harder and harder to find Uh, yeah, one of my uh, the favorite favorite clips, um, basically overall, but was the one you did on the Daily Show uh, with the liberal preppers. Yeah, <laughs> they did do did comparisons. It was a really good uh, tongue in cheek, and people could find that on YouTube as well. So, with all of the public perception negatively towards preppers, is that what drove you to create Prepper Camp, or what was the um, yeah what was the driver behind? creating pepper pepper camp and, and making that a, a public event well um you know as a result of us being on doomsday preppers and in kind of being celebrities in the preparedness industry um it was there was a whole business around preparedness out there and these guys who were um promoters who weren't preppers themselves they're just trying to make a buck on the latest trend would put together these expos and these preparedness shows all across the country. And, you know, you'd, you'd go to a convention center and people were, you know, elbow to elbow, butt to butt. And there was all kinds of vendors selling stuff there. And 
you know, a lot of these people, and, and so they, they wanted us. So we were going across the country at these different shows. And the reason they wanted us is because we were a marketing draw for them. So they right. let us teach, you know, a few classes about how we live and whatever. And what we realized is that all these people going to these convention centers just wanted knowledge. They wanted, to, I mean, they wanted to know what they needed and why they needed it and how to use it uh, as opposed to, oh, just buy this thing. Well, everybody's got a limited budget at some point. So mm -hmm. what do I need to buy first and, and why? And um, so we realized that people were going there for information first and foremost. And there was a few other speakers in our same position. And we said, hey, let's do an event that, you know, is all about education and that we would want to attend. And in a setting, um, you know, not in some convention center, but in a setting that's conducive to preparedness oriented stuff. So. Um, you know, we found this this location um, in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, Orchard Lake Campground. Uh, it's the largest campground in that region. And, you know, that was important. And they got a lot of open space. And we said, you know, this would be a good place to have it. So we sort of conceived the whole idea of prepper camp and did all the administrative stuff and, you know, filed for the trademarks and, you know, put up a year in advance of doing the, the first event. And um, right. so we did what we did and we were the number one largest uh, preparedness and homesteading event in the country the first year out in 2014. That's incredible. So there's a, uh, there's a book out there called, called Bunker uh, by a guy named Bradley Garrett. And uh, I think he gave a pretty fair shake to preppers. And he talked, you know, he talked with a lot of people around the, the country as he was uh, doing his research. But he kind of coined a, a term in there called dread merchants uh, about the people who uh, either promote fear or, or try to prey off people's fear uh, in the preparedness sphere, trying to make people, uh, you know, like you said, a bunch of people are just trying to make a, a quick buck. Right. Right. So how do you, how do you, you balance, um, you know, the business side of it, of, of knowing that, Hey, this is, this is something that's, you know, the one that's valuable uh, with not increasing fears, but, but calming them and giving people practical skills. I mean, that, that's, that's what you do. I've been yeah. to uh, prepper yeah. camp the last couple of years and I, I love the experience and it's very, uh, very welcoming. Uh, and like you said, there are people from all backgrounds there. I brought my kids last year. Uh, it was a very, very fun, not fear mongering type of situation. Right. So how do, what's the key to that? How do you, um, uh, I mean, obviously fear sells, but you didn't take that route. Um, yeah. What, no, what and, have you done? And, you know, as a, as a, as a marketing guy for, you know, 35 years, it was, yeah, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, survival instinct and fear is the biggest motivator to fear and sex are the two biggest motivators to sell any product and have been for ages. Um, but uh, we're not we're not pitching either one at Prepper Camp. Um, it's it's really just about being self-sufficient and taking care of yourself. And that it goes beyond just um fear of of uh, something terrible happening it's you know as i tell people the end of the world as we know it for you could just be losing your job mm -hmm. and then what do i do you know i don't have any money coming in yet i still need to feed my family and so it you know if you've got food stored and you've got ways to be self-sufficient for some period of time it's it's good you know you're you're in a better shape and and 
it depends on where you are in the country, but there's not many parts of the country that haven't lived through some sort of disaster of one kind or another. Uh, there seem to be a lot more of those man-made disasters happening these days with the fires, mysterious fires of, uh, (laughs) of, of food production uh, facilities and uh, mysterious train derailments of material that is, is uh, poisonous in small towns uh, that end up poisoning the the water and everything else. Uh, It seems to be a lot more of that stuff going on, but um, you know, people, uh, people have lived through a snowstorm or, or, um, you know, hurricane and whatever. Hey, you know, disruptions are happening all the time. Gotta, gotta think about, and I think there's a lot less people that are just hearing about it and then going shopping uh, the day before the event, because they've all been there and done that and found that the shelves are completely empty. So I don't know. I think there's a lot more people that are, they're, more willing to take care of themselves and with everything else going on politically and, and, you know, what's going on with society and what people are seeing all over the world and what people are seeing now that they didn't know and didn't see before, because, you know, lamestream media did not promote this stuff and didn't, and censored anything that they didn't want the public to see. So now with, you know, shows like yours, these people are hearing about and seeing stuff that they otherwise wouldn't know. Um, so they're kind of waking up to the truth. Yeah, it's um, it's it's crazy that even now, after we go through, you know, COVID for a few years, that people are right. still so disparaging of just having your basic needs on hand. Yep. You know that, yeah, and then of course they blame the um, they blame the preppers for the toilet paper uh, shortage. Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like okay, the yeah the people who had toilet paper are the ones who yeah themselves. exactly sure. yeah. Yeah, I actually um, did a video during the uh, during the pandemic when there was a toilet paper shortage, and I I um I said, well, you know, my wife survived. Jane and I don't need toilet paper. All you all you guys, all you fools out there that are you know wiping your butts with leaves and poison ivy, um, you know, she invented this thing called the Heine hydrant, and basically mm-hmm. it's a garden sprayer, and uh, you can clean your butt um, just using that. It's, it's, a, it's just a handheld portable bidet is what it is. And, uh, you know, you don't need toilet paper. So, yeah. It's super cool. It's just a, yeah. <laughs> like you said, you know, it's a garden sprayer pressure and you do, she, she bent the nozzle, right? She heated it a little bit. Yeah. So nozzle. that it's ergonomically correct. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you can wash yourself. You don't have to wash each other. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, you're not washing the wall. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, that is that is really cool. I love I love the uh, innovation in the prepper sphere because it's you can take the angle of I'm going to throw money at this and you know buy some expensive uh, kit, or you can take it the look of how can I make do and figure out how to solve my problem or meet my need with the limited resources I have, and we see that all the time in in um, you know the pre- prepper world. People just coming up with unique solutions. Some are better than others, uh, but yeah. a lot of times it's just it's just really cool to see the the innovation and um, get to it. Well, you know, you know the the original engineers were farmers. I mean, mm-hmm. they're the guys that they were out there in the field and they had to figure out how to get something done, how to move water from one place to another, how to you know how to fix a a, a farm implement. I mean, you go by these these old farms and you see you know three or four dead tractors out there. Well that's parts, 
you know, they can, they can take what they need when they need to. And, um, yeah, they, they were the original MacGyvers. You know, they were the original guys that try to figure out what to do with what and take this part from this and this part from that. And so we end up doing a lot of that too, because we're trying to be sustainable and, and, uh, you know, my wife, Jane is, is much of a MacGyver as I am. She comes up with some neat, really neat ideas. And sometimes I'm rolling my eyes at her, but the, you know, they end up working. So, um, yeah, I think it was her that, that, uh, came up with the idea that <clears throat> she saw something and we have a metal barn for our goats, metal roof on it. And, uh, it was hot like now, like we have now, cause we're in the triple mm-hmm. digits right now with, wow. with the heat index and that these goats have a, a internal temperature of 103 degrees. And once you start going past that, they don't really have a way to bleed off that heat and, you know, you start losing animals. And that's, that's, you know, our investment in every dairy product that we have. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were trying to figure out some way to cool them off. And so we ended up spraying water on top of the roof. And instead of the ambient temperature in the barn being 10 degrees above the, out, I mean, instead of the, the, the temperature in the barn being 10 degrees above the outside ambient temperature, the, the barn temperature was 10 degrees cooler. So wow. we said, hey, this is a good idea. Let's, let's put a sprinkler up there. Let's run a garden hose up on the top of the roof and put a sprinkler up there. We did that. That worked. And then said, well, this isn't really sustainable because you're going to drain our well doing this. And so we'd have rainwater catchment on every building that we have. So there's gutters and rainwater catchment. And I said, you know, I could take the water in the cistern and I could pump it up and I could use a 12 volt pump and I could run it off of a solar panel and the water would run up to the roof. It would sprinkle the roof, cool it off like a little radiator effect, and it would run back into the gutters and then run back into the cistern and then run back up to the roof again with this, with this pump. And um, we did that. The first pump we used wasn't powerful enough, but we ended up using uh, you know, a pump from an RV uh, because that's really where the, the cool technology is and the state-of-the-art right. technology in terms of you know anything. RVs are... It's, you know, the, the head of the curve and everything. And, um, so we did that. We put a little battery bank in, put some, some cheap solar panels that we got from uh, Harbor freight on the roof. And we got ourselves a cooling system for the, um, for our barn. And it just runs, runs when the sun's out. I don't have to worry about it. Don't have to do anything. Yeah. That's incredible. That's awesome. It doesn't take any extra, uh, power or water. Correct. It's much more sustainable. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So at Prepper Camp this year, uh, you are bringing a lot of new speakers, right? Yeah, and we and we, you know, we try to bring in uh, about twenty, a little over twenty new classes every single year, just because mm-hmm. you want people coming back, and they if they start saying, "Oh, I've already seen everything," well, right, then about they're all not the classes. Back. So. So we always try to have something new and there's new stuff out there and, and new speakers. And I, I literally get almost 50 speakers a year asking to, you know, hey, can I speak at your event? Because, I mean, over 10 years being the number one, it's it's kind of a prestigious place to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we we look at the speakers and look at what they're going to talk about and um, you know, I, I'm always looking for something new that's going to teach people something they don't already know. And I'm always interested in some of this stuff. I, 
I learned things by looking at people's PowerPoint presentations because unfortunately, as much as I would like to attend these classes, I don't have time during the event to do it because I'm a, the administrative guy putting out fires before anybody knows there's a fire. So, right. um, and, and, so it's all and you're teaching several, several classes yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm teaching three. So three classes out of eight a day. And, and now um, I've kind of been called to teach one on uh, because because we are where we are and because I've got over 120 animals now that I'm trying to protect. Um, and we have every predator in, in Western North Carolina where we are. I mean, from black bear to, uh, to coyotes, to fox, to the raccoons, which are a predator to the chickens and the ducks and, you know, the possums. And so I'm always have to be on high alert for that sort of stuff. We, we lock everybody up at night, which is when most of the predators come out, but they're still out mm -hmm. there. And, um, I've kind of had to learn how to dispatch those animals so that they don't take mine. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've learned, um, through missing a lot through not getting on target a lot. Some of the things that you have to do in terms of optics and, um, you know, in terms of sighting stuff in and zeroing weapons. So um, I'm doing a class on uh, on s setting up uh, rifles for predators. So, um, and that could be for four-legged or otherwise, if you wanted to. Um, right. So I'm doing that class and I was just going to do it at night after all the other classes are done. And Jane's like, you're putting way too much time and energy into this thing to have just a few people come to it. So you really need to do it during this. I'm like, I don't want to teach four classes a day. I'm, I'm toast by the end of the weekend teaching three a day. So, uh, so we're still working on that, but we might, we might still do something and, uh, you know, in, in a different, um, not in one of the tents maybe, but in, um, you know, one of the locations that we have like under the canopy of the lodge or something mm -hmm. like that. So we'll see, but, um, well, that'd be cool. yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been looking at the list. Um, you know, really excited for some of the classes. Uh, I, I noticed you have Mike Shelby. He's the um, he does uh, forward observer, yeah, forward observer, uh, Graham and the Intel brief, all of that stuff. Uh, he he kind of gave me an idea several years ago because he was talking about his area study, which is you know, yeah great concept, just so important. Uh, and then he he's talking about this and making sure you understand what's what's around your your area. And be, because when something happens, it doesn't matter so much what the hazard is, it's how it impacts you. So yes. it starts with the, the local area. And I do emergency management. And in emergency management, we say all the time, uh, uh, all disasters are local. And, you know, I, to some extent, I, I, you know, obviously knew what that mean, what that meant, and that we try to manage things at the, the lowest level or that it impacts the lowest level first. But hearing him say that and talking about it just something clicked in my mind and that changed my whole perspective about preparedness because it doesn't matter so much what the hazard is. It's how it impacts your basic needs. Right. And it's all, it's all starting with you and then does these concentric circles out, you know, the impact on you and your needs. And then you can worry about your, uh, your neighbors and community, uh, but all of the threats and all of that. Anyway, that's a, that's a class I'm super excited for uh, this year. A new, new class. Yeah, he, that he, um, our first couple of years, he was there. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, he had other things he was trying to do and he's grown his business and whatever, but, uh, you know, he, um, he wanted to come back this year. So I said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have yeah. you. And, and that's, so that's a class that, you know, eight years ago we had at prepper camp 
and haven't had since. So, you know, it's it's like a new class, really. And considering that yeah. there's so many new people at prepper camp, because, you know, even though we were the largest then, we're still the largest now. But, we, you know, we're we are five times bigger than we were when we started. So in terms wow. of the number of people. Um, yeah, I, I've only been the last uh, couple of years. And uh, yeah, even I mean, just hearing all the stories from the people who are there and even one year to the next was, you know, seeing growth and especially coming out of the pandemic, uh, people yeah. being able to, you know, to to share the experiences they had, but also uh, the ways that they would change and, and look forward to the future. And, and we and we still had our event during the pandemic um we found some ways around it and uh, because we were an outdoor event and because we were an ed- educational event mm-hmm. we could do it under certain restrictions and you know we had to social distance our vendors which kind of sucked but right. um you know so we had to have half as many vendors because we just didn't have the space but um you know we still were able to pull off the event and yeah, so I'm just incredible. happy that when so many other preparedness at the time you need preparedness the most, so many other preparedness events just had to shut down and not, not yeah. do anything. So, it, so yeah, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Yep. So what is the, what are you looking forward to the most this year of prepper camp? Uh, the next day after it's over. <laughs> oh, like, oh. Yeah. Each, each year I've been there, I, just do a little walk around the first night I get there. I usually get there the night before it starts, uh, and you know, camp intensity, which I call FEMA camp. Uh, yeah. Joke. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got, you know, basically all of us as refugees showing up. Um, and I was, I wander around and you are up till who knows uh, later than I am. Uh, you're going around, making sure everything's set up, doing a bunch of work. I mean, you've got your, 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 you know, cohort of, of volunteers doing hard work too. There's a lot that goes into this. Um, what, what about prepper camp would you, do you wish that people knew, uh, behind the scenes, um, just to make things run? Uh, I I, I, I see how busy you are. It, it, um, well, first of all, this is not a money-making event for Jane and myself. It is not, it is, this is, this is our ministry. This is, this is kind of how we give back. And, um, it, it, the whole reason we did it is because we thought people needed to be educated and, and, you know, people want to live the way we live, or at least get closer to it to be, you know, self-sufficient and sustain, sustainable. And I think the ultimate preparedness, uh, you know, is not just somebody who has a bunch of crap in their closet that they've never used before. And, you know, when something happens, I'll, I'll take this out and, oh, I'll, I've saved these seeds for five years and I'll just plant seeds and then, then I'll be able to, you know, grow my own food. Well, first of all, if you've never done it before, you don't know what you don't know. And if you've never done it before and you've stored seeds for five years, they're probably not viable. Um, so then the sooner you start doing that stuff and, and, and you know, I've been in my soapbox for the last 15 years that people need to be growing their own food. And so lo and behold, uh, we're having food shortages now miraculously. And, uh, you know, food, food prices for staples have gone up 74% in the last two years. Um, you know, if you're, and you do the math and the average family of four is spending about $17,000, um, before taxes a year on just feeding their family. Well, 
if you grow your own food, um, then that's 17 grand you can put into other preps or solar panels on your roof or, you know, a whole bunch of other things. So, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that that's important. I think I got off the subject here or your, what your question was. I can't remember where, where I was, but, uh, what, what the question was. Oh, just what that, people yeah, want to know. But yeah, what you wish people would know about behind the scenes. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of work. It's it's ten months of work um, to put this whole thing together, and to you know, dealing with the website and changes in the website, and and changes in personnel, and looking for new speakers, and looking at classes, and kind of wading through all that stuff, and dealing with vendors. And this year, our tent people um, went up twenty five percent in price. Well, I can't oh. charge my customers, my attendees, 25% more, especially after we've already started selling tickets to the event. And, you know, it's, right. it's, that's not the reason for doing it. So, um, and, and we start off the, the ticket price is about half price from the, mm -hmm. from the final price to get people in, to get people to, to go. And so, um, there's just a lot, uh, involved in putting this whole thing on. And I, I think, I think really what people need to understand is that um, this whole preparedness thing or, or what we do at Prepper Camp is so much more than just being prepared for a disaster or, or about guns and ammo. And so people have a preconceived notion of what, you know, what a preparedness or what a self-reliance event would be. And, you know, I've talked to other people who have, who have, talk to newbies coming to prepper camp for the first time and you know a husband and wife would come and the husband's into the prepping thing and the wife would get there and go oh they're teaching people how to make soap oh yeah. they're te teaching people how to make cheese oh oh well you know and and we get somebody that's doing you know fibers and you know how to make stuff out of well hey i want to know that i want to know how to do right. that um and then you get, yeah. you know, the, the, the women or whoever are, are like, cause we've got a, a self-defense instructor, um, Sarah Hathaway, who's, who is only five foot tall and she's a little girl, but she's a third degree black belt, uh, in, uh, Taekwondo, I think it is. And she's teaching a self-defense class and it's just a real simple self-defense class, but it's, you know, it's, it's self-defense for every, every body is how it's mm -hmm. done. So, you know, you don't have to be in shape. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be, you know, a, a man. And she's teaching people some basic moves so they can get away and, you know, protect themselves from some threat that comes at them. So you right. know, there's, there's all kinds of that stuff there. That's, that's stuff for everybody. Cause we've, we've got, you know, the, uh, self-defense classes, the home defense classes, the, the, um, you know, growing a uh, permaculture garden like mine and greenhouse and constructing a new home. You know, I teach those things that are going to be totally self-sufficient and livestock. And, uh, but then we've got this, you know, the self-defense stuff, we've got, you know, how to, how to make cheese, you know, how to, how to, uh, how to turn this preparedness food of beans and rice into something that you won't get food fatigue over, you know? So right. we've got, we've got a person who is a, who's a, a doctor in nutrition uh, who also happened to be a, a major um, in the military. So she's kind of a tough 
tough old broad, but she's she's uh, you know, she teaches people this stuff that they, they wouldn't know otherwise. I mean, it's just there's just so many different classes and 64 classes a day is more than anybody could possibly see even mm-hmm. in the three days of the event. So there's there's a lot of good, well-rounded stuff there um, from, you know, solar panels to and what what it takes and what the the major mistakes are people make when they start putting that stuff up to, uh, you know, psychological warfare and what's happening mm-hmm. to to us every day. Yeah. And just incredible stuff. And like I said, my, I took, I brought a couple kids with me last year and they had classes they were interested in. Um, they, she even, my daughter sat and talked with, uh, Sarah Hathaway who was incredibly patient and showed my daughter, um, some basic things, not, not increasing any fear, but just increasing confidence mm-hmm. in, in herself and her abilities. It was, it was just a great experience, um, overall. Just a really, really, really good time. You know, my wife and I spoke before, and she hasn't she hasn't been down there. She stays back with the rest of the kids. Yeah, uh, but we it's two we've more, heard the right? question. Oh, uh, well, we've got six now. So, <laughs> yeah, so six six kids total. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, we just had, yeah yeah two more than last year, which was yeah. Your your food and, bill yeah. just went up twenty five percent. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Um, we. We, we get the question a lot. How do you get your spouse on board with prepping? And, you know, you talked about people bringing their spouses and finding things they're interested in. And, and that's the, the, you don't get your spouse on board. Like that's the, that's the thing is, is I never have, have gotten my wife on board with prepping. I've supported my wife in the things that she values and is good at. And she supported me in mine. And that makes us a more resilient family overall because mm-hmm. Um, our whole, our whole idea of, of being self-sufficient and being capable is what, what preparedness is about. It's not just, you know, it's not just the, the gear, it's not just the skills, it's not just, um, you know, guns or any of that stuff. It's everybody leveraging their strengths and their, their interests and, Mm -hmm. you know, making your whole family better off. Well, for us, it's, you know, this, this is kind of the, the apex of preparedness is just growing everything yourself and doing everything yourself like we are in, in this homestead. So we're totally self-sufficient food wise and energy wise. And, you know, we don't have to make money to survive. So, you know, there's, there's of course uh, taxes and insurance, which you're going to have to pay. But, you know, other than that that and some gasoline for, you know, your vehicle to get from one place to another and repairs and maintenance, um, there isn't a lot that you have, to, you know, you don't have to make a lot of money if you don't spend a lot of money. And, right. um, you know, when you do a homestead like this, everything that you do labor wise, everything that you do time wise, everything that you invest in financially is, is increasing your assets to be able to, um, you know, support yourself and in your family and, and in fact, you know, leave a legacy for your children if that's what you want to do. Um, the homestead like this. Yeah. I took all, I've taken all three of the the classes you teach, the livestock, the garden and the greenhouse. And it's just incredible skills and knowledge. Uh, And you, you present it in such a digestible way that doesn't make it seem like it's out of touch. I mean, looking at, looking at your, you know, your, your secret garden of survival, like, holy smokes, that's, that's a lot. But then you explain how it, in a lot of ways, is self-maintaining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, 
yeah, just provides so much for for so little effort on your part. Well, it's the way nature's grown things for millions of years without man's help. But when you once I finally figured that out, I mean, I was I was a traditional apple farmer. You know, I use pesticide every 10 days and after every rain and weed killer and, you know, um, and, and watered stuff. And it just, you know, I fertilizer, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And when you realize that, wait a minute, uh, you know, nature's been doing this without man's help, um, and interference for so long. And if you just understand the basic concept of how stuff grows and that there's symbiotic relationships between, you know, trees and the plants underneath them and the shrubs around them. And, you know, the real, the real pesticide, uh, the real pest killers are the predatory wasp that um, if you create an infrastructure where you've got, you know, these flowering herbs all around your, your blueberries, blackberries, elderberries, and, and, and around your fruit trees, whether that's, you know, peaches or pears or, or plums or whatever it is you're growing, now you've got a defensive perimeter around that little that little ecosystem, that little guild, that uh, the bad bugs got to get through the, the predatory wasp, the good bugs, um, before they can get to that fruit. And you know, time and time again, I've shown Jane, you know, a um, a wasp stinging a um, a caterpillar that would otherwise be chewing the leaves, and wow. and some of these wasps implant their eggs in these caterpillars and they end up literally eating the caterpillar <laughs> from the inside out. Um, but that's nature's way. And, you know, we, um, it, it works. I mean, it just, it just works. It, it, it floored me because I was, this was a huge, huge experiment for me and a huge risk, but you know, I didn't, I wasn't totally stupid. I, I, you know, did things some traditional ways and planted grapes on trellises uh, and then planted grapes, you know, going up an apple tree because there's no trellises in nature. And what I discovered is I had, uh, you know, five times the the output on the grapes that went up in the apple tree. And now I'm growing two crops in literally the same vertical space, the apples and the grapes. And no, they don't choke each other out. They, you know, the grapes... The grapes uh, ripen first and then they drop their leaves and then the apples can ripen after that. And so you're picking, you know, two crops in the same space as opposed to, you know, grapes on a trellis, which the only reason they're planted on a trellis is because it's easy for man to go down the rows and, and pick them. Um, mm -hmm. But my my output was, you know, so much better on the trees. I'm like, you know this is this is god's work not mine and and this, right. is, this is how it's how it's meant to be that's awesome that's incredible thank you so much rick for coming on this has been a great conversation is there anything else you want to tell the people um well they can find my books uh secret garden of survival how to grow a camouflage food forest and my my um you know, everything i do is kind of well, it's innovative, but it's not what you would think is traditional way to grow food. And, you know, the greenhouse that we have is uh, totally self-sufficient. And I'm growing food there year round because it's an insulated greenhouse. And uh, so we, we've got fresh salad, you know, in the wintertime when we normally wouldn't have it. And, uh, you know, my livestock is unconventional because I have 120 animals on two acres. 
And yeah. most of those, most of those animals are totally self-sufficient. Uh, you know, we got rabbits, like we talked about before. I've got dairy goats that only come up to my knee yet. Three of those girls at any one time will produce a gallon and a half of milk a day. So my wife, you know, makes all the dairy products you would buy in a store from the best ice cream in the world to, you know, cheese, cheesecake, all of that stuff. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, we are much healthier as a result of it too. So the, uh, the, the garden, the greenhouse, the livestock books, you can get, um, or find out where to get them at secretgardenofsurvival.com. Uh, that's my website for all that stuff. And then preppercamp.com is where you can find out about all the classes, the speakers, the, you know, and, and get the tickets for the event, um, which we still have not sold out yet. So you can still get tickets. And that is uh, September 22nd through 24th? Yes, yep. In Saluda, North Carolina. In Saluda, North Carolina, yep. And um, we will have our musical guest that we had last year. I'm not sure if you were around to see him. Yeah, five times uh, August. Yeah, five times August. I mean, that guy. And since Prepper Camp, it has nothing to do with Prepper Camp, nothing to do with But since Prepper Camp, he has literally been around the world. Um, you know, dealing with the, the, the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the mandates, the vax mandates, all that stuff. And so he's, he is, um, he is the, uh, political, um, singer songwriter of our time that's going against the mainstream, which, you know, when I grew up in the sixties, there was all kinds of guys doing that. That was the cool thing to do, you know, and now everybody's, you know, afraid of cancel culture. So they're willing to do it. And he just. I mean, he was a a kind of ballad, you know, love song guy before this. And, um, you know, he just sat back and said, I got to speak up. I got to." So he lost like half of his followers immediately after he did it. That they, they all canceled him. Um, but, um, you know, he's a hero. He really is. I mean, he is he has put himself on the line and. Uh, and yeah. and his stuff is fantastic. I mean, the, the the songs are fantastic. He now has a DVD out, a CD out, um, and the YouTube videos are just amazing. I and mean, that's how we, Jane and I found him. We were just going through, and somehow something popped up, and I said, "Whoever did this video is brilliant." And the the music was great, and it, it really just it illustrated to people how ridiculous these lockdowns are, how ridiculous. Fauci was and how we were being lied to and he is now the number one singer songwriter on Apple iTunes and on um, Amazon and I think because yeah. people are wow. looking for the truth well it's I mean the, the whole idea of you know looking for the truth is no matter how well-intentioned well-meaning or even beneficial any of the the policies, everything are the the moment they lie about one thing, it discredits the entire entire thing. So it doesn't matter how beneficial it is because we have to question it all. And when you start questioning it, you start to poke a lot of holes and and yep. things like that. Yeah. So it's you know, as well and you know, well, our good intentions don't you know don't end up being what they are meant no. to be. No, and, and and you can't judge. I learned in business you can't judge people by intentions because intentions mm-hmm. don't matter. It's results that matter and, you know, right. what really happens. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Rick. It has been a pleasure. And 
So PrepperCamp.com. What was your other website? SecretGardenOfSurvival.com. I'll run together. Yep. Awesome. SecretGardenOfSurvival.com. Thank you, and I'm um, looking forward to seeing you at Prepper Camp this year. Yeah, likewise. Remember, everybody, that uh, preparedness works, and come and see us.